title of the message today is, What Do You Expect? Um, and we're going to start off first with prayer. We just want to go before the Lord and allow him have his way here. Father, just use me right now in these moments. Use me as a vessel of honor for your kingdom, for your glory, Lord. May you have all the glory. Take me out of the equation and, and just allow, allow your Holy Spirit to, to, to flow off my lips this morning, Jesus. May, may the hearts be softened and prepared for your word today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Do you have dreams? Who, who has dreams? Everybody have dreams here? You got dreams, goals, objectives that you are striving toward? Think about this for a minute. What if those goals were realized tomorrow? Think about it. What would, what would you do? Where would you be if, if all those goals, all those objectives, all those dreams came, came true? What if you were able to pay off that credit card? What if you were able to get that promotion at work? What if you were able to get that new house? What if you were able to restore your marriage? Or if all the tests finally came back negative? Or if you finally got a job, or if your novel has finally picked up by a publisher. I know there's a lot of different options and, and opportunities in there, different goals and ambitions, different things we're praying for, believing for, having faith for. And what if you finally received the credit or the respect or the appreciation you've always thought that you deserved? What then? What would you expect your life to be like after that? After your dream comes true, after your goal is realized, after your objective is met, what would you expect? We're going to be in verse 1 of chapter 2 this morning. Then it came about afterwards that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to one of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. So David said, Where shall I go up? And he said to Hebron. So David went up there and his two wives also, Ahinoam, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelites. And David brought up his men who were with him, each with his household, and they lived in the cities of Hebron. Then the men of Judah came, and there anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, It was the men of Jabesh-Gilead who buried Saul. The first point I bring you to this morning is that David inquired of the Lord. This is an important thing to keep in mind. The key to success for David's life was that he did inquire of the Lord often. Not always, we've seen it. He, he, he strayed a little bit and he's come back on, but here he is, what he's doing is he is inquiring of the Lord. He wants, he wants to be in his promise. And I say, that David wanted more than God's blessing on his plans. He wanted to be right in the middle of God's plans. God was faithful when David inquired. God could have put him on uh, what you could say is probation in a way, and he, he could have refused to speak to him for a while, but he doesn't do that. He remains faithful despite David's actions. David David knew that the promise and knew that it would be fulfilled without any manipulation. He knew the promise of God on his heart and on his life. He knew the promise of his calling. He knew what God had called him to. And he knew that he didn't have to manipulate his way into that. 
There is a lack of waiting on God for our movements in our world today. How many of you have been there? I've been there before. Shoot, just this last week I was there. I was all bummed out because I knew what God had called me for, what his promise was, and that I wasn't there right now. And it was timely that it came this week as as I was preparing this message. And we also see that the men of Judah anointed David king. Samuel, we already saw Samuel had anointed him through through the Lord. And here he is, they're saying he's anointed again. It's the men of Judah have a, who, who have anointed him king. David wasn't the one who seized the throne. Even though he knew the promise, he didn't go and seize it. The men of Judah were the ones who actually anointed him king. It was better to let God lift him up through others than to strive to advance himself. And that's a challenge for us. We should strive to advance God's kingdom and leave the advancement of self in his hands. That's a prayer I say often. Usually every Sunday before I step on this stage, I I say, Lord, take me out of the equation. Take my pride, take my ambition, take all of it. I just want you to be at the very center. I want to advance his kingdom. And when I'm ready, when you know, Lord, that I'm ready, I know that you will take care of me. You will advance me wherever you call me to go. The first, when, when we see that he was anointed by the men of Judah, we also notice, okay, that's the first, second anointing probably now. This is an earthly anointing. However, we see that the first anointing wasn't enough. And I'd say we need a fresh anointing from God and an ongoing experience of Holy Spirit ongoing experience. Notice I didn't say ongoing experience of the Holy Spirit because Holy Spirit is he. Holy Spirit is not it. Holy Spirit is he. And we need an ongoing experience with he. We're going to continue on in verse five through seven here. It says, David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed of the Lord because you have shown this kindness to Saul your Lord and have buried him. Now may the Lord show loving kindness and truth to you. And I also will show this goodness to you because you have done this thing. Now, therefore, let your hands be strong and be valiant. For Saul your Lord is dead and also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. You have shown this kindness. That's what it says. David showed appropriate gratitude to the men who risked their lives to honor the memory of Saul and Jonathan. He doesn't force himself upon Jabesh, Gilead, just as Jesus, although he is king, does not force himself upon us. The hands be strengthened, as the text says. David knew he needed brave men like these to secure and advance the kingdom, especially in the turmoil sure to surround his ascension to the throne. He knew the turmoil would come. He knew the battle of of his ascension. There was going to be backlash. There were going to be people trying to get in his way or just overcome it entirely. And we continue on in verses 8 through 11. But Abner, the son of Ner, 
commanded of, commander of Saul's army, had taken Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. We made him king over Gilead, over the Asherites, over Jezreel, over Ephraim, and over Benjamin, even over all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he became king over Israel, and he was king for two years. The house of Judah, however, followed David. The time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. So we see Abner. We hear about Abner. And Abner was Saul's cousin and commander. Abner or David even points out here, if we remember back in 1 Samuel, David had a chance to kill Saul. And in that case, Abner, who was supposed to protect Saul, would have, he would have been like, yo, you did not do your job. You're literally supposed to protect him. I could have killed him twice. And he's like, you failed. You failed at your job. And he, he remembers that. David points out that Abner has failed to protect his king. David had these opportunities many times before. And then we hear about Ishbosheth. Try to say that 12 times fast. Oh my gosh, I can't even say it once. Uh, son of Saul. He's the son of Saul. But we, we heard that Saul and his three sons were killed in battle. So it's not referencing Ishbosheth because he's here. So this is, there's, since there's no previous mention of this, this, there's an idea that it's possible that Ishbosheth is an illegitimate son or, or one of a, of, a, of a concubine. We hear made king. Abner made Ishbosheth king. It was a two-year reign, as we see here in the text. And this, this, this reign, this two-year reign, this really tests David's patience and trust in God. And I'd say David had every right to crush the one who stood in the way of his calling, yet he trusts in the Lord. How many of us could say the same, that we would do the same? We know we're called for something. We know the promise that God has called us for. And if somebody else gets ascended before us, that we'll just sit back and trust in the Lord, or are we going to try to fight, scratch and claw, throw hands if we need to, to whoever it may be, just to be where he has called us to be? Seven years and six months. This is the time that David headquarters in Hebron. David refused to force his reign on his subjects. He's, he's a Christ type in this sense, just like Jesus doesn't force himself on mankind. And like David, Jesus will battle against the pretenders of the throne, but he will not force his reign on mankind yet. Because we know the end of the story. We know what's to come. Just because we get a word from the Lord, there are still things that need to be done. Steps of faith and work are still required to go. There, there are still things that need to be done. Just because we get that promise or we get that call on our life or something's prophesied over us, we still have work that needs to be done to get there. God, he's not in the business of handouts. Faith requires doing on our part. For instance, in, in, in my life, I knew very early on that 
when, when after Kelsey and I met and we started dating, I knew very early that she was supposed to be my wife. Like God was very clear on that. And I, I heard from him very clearly. And I knew though, I knew if I said it as early as I heard it, it probably may not be the same way as it is right now. We're 76 days from getting married now. I'm not counting, but uh, although I knew that that is the will of God to marry her, that she was to be my wife, I still had to put in the work to win her heart. And that's just one example of many that we could pull from. God does not give us the full picture, just like he did not give the full picture to David. If we saw it all, if we saw everything of the picture, it would be far too overwhelming for us. Far too overwhelming for us. How many have turned from the Lord's will and it doesn't turn out good for us? How many times have, has that been a story of our life that we turn from the Lord's will and we recognize, oh, this did not go very well. This ended very poorly. <laughs> it doesn't matter how many times you have disobeyed God. He is not going to cancel you. He's not. God is not in the business of cancel culture. God is above the things of this world. God is not going to shut the book of your life. The story of your life is not over. And God is not going to change your call just because you did not answer it the first time. He's not. God isn't into cancel culture. Cancel culture is not Jesus' culture. The Bible says the call of God is irrevocable. What does that mean? That means the call of God is on your life because God put it on your life, not because you obeyed it onto your life. Therefore, you cannot disobey it off of your life. The call remains the same. There are ramifications, however, based on how you live in that calling, but the call is still there. You, 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 you can't, you, you can, you have a call in your life, and you could definitely go a different route, use that call for earthly possessions, earthly gain. I heard a story actually one time of a, of a, of a, of a guy who, he, he's a pastor of a church, and this is down in Memphis, Tennessee, and he's a pastor of a church, and he says, uh, I said, who, who does your outreach? He was like, actually, uh, it's a funny story. He's actually a gang, uh, gang leader at one point. And he went, he evangelized, he did the outreach, did all that. I said, what made you choose him? He said, well, if you think about it, look at all the people he's bringing in to his gang. He, he can influence people for one single purpose, for one single gang. He can. I saw that, and I went, I evangelized. It took time, obviously. So he brings him in. Now he's the, 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 the lead hub leader of, of evangelism and outreach, and their, their, their church grew since he went into that position and he came in and started stepping in that. Their church grew uh, from, I believe it was 400 to over 2,000. And yeah, that's the will of God. God is throughout that whole thing. That man had a call of God on his life. 
And he decided he's going to use it for, for earthly gain, for, for earthly possessions, for, for this. And then, and then he decided, I'm going to use it for God's kingdom. God changed his life. And look what he's able to do through that. So just because you may not have answered the call the first time, it doesn't mean that the call no longer exists. Think about the picture God has painted for us here in this text. After many, many years on the run, after so many years of suffering, years of nothing but the promise of God's anointing, David finally comes home. David has finally begun to claim God's promise. And as we see in his message to Jabesh Gilead, David wants to begin to bring the people of Israel who have, who have just suffered a crushing defeat at the hands of the Philistines. David wants to bring them together under his leadership or, more importantly, God's leadership. And so, if you, if you could place yourself in David's sandals this morning, in a moment like this, what would you expect? As you settled into a new life back in the land of your birth, as you studied the joy and relief in the faces of your men and their family, as you heard the shouts of acclamation from your relatives, as you felt the anointing oil fall off your head, what would you expect? We're not told what David thought, but wouldn't you think to yourself, finally, Finally, the time has come. Finally, God's promises are fulfilled. Finally, the moment, the season for which I've waited so long for. Finally, it's victory. In times like that, it is, it is so easy, so easy to believe, to, to expect that the only direction you can go is up. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that way in your spiritual journey? Maybe when you first came to faith, you felt like God's message of deliverance through Jesus was more than anything else, an offer of peace and rest and comfort and healing and happiness, ease and victory. Or maybe you've concluded over time that if you can just get to the next level spiritually, if God would just change a particular situation or relationship in your life, if only your prayers were answered, then everything would be different. If only. And when something does change, when your prayers are answered, when God does deliver you or give you success over victory, it informs, it often, it often shapes our expectations. We think, finally, finally, everything is coming together. This is what I've been waiting for. But only God's word, only his word, which is a living word, can truly inform our expectations. And the reality is, according to God's word, there is always an Abner out there. There is always an Ishbosheth those who seem to be against you, those you need to go through or wait out until your call comes, until your time comes. There is always opposition. The fact of the matter is some, some will pour oil over your head. Others, 
will shoot spit wads. It is never completely smooth sailing. And God, he wants us to understand this. Not everyone will like you. Not every teacher is skilled or passionate or gracious. Tests or work can be hard. You can be left out. You can fall behind. You can be called names. And all these cans, most likely, they will turn to a will. But did anyone ever tell you that? Did your mom, your dad, your, your friend, your loved one, your, 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 your pastor, your mentor, whatever, prepare you for that reality? Well, God wants to do that very thing in your lives through his word. And I think we were reminded of that, of that very thing by our passage this morning. And I have five verses that I want us to consider this morning. The first of which here is John 15, 18 through 21. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Because of this, the world hates you. Remember, the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they were persecuted, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. The other text I want to share with you is 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. And if we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions for you yourselves, know that we have been destined for this. The other is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, even now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire. It may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I have two more to share with you. And this one's also in 1 Peter, it's in chapter 4, verse 2. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. And then I have Acts 14, verses 21 and 22. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Life in this world from the fall is not meant to be easy. We see 
that God, he wants us to understand. He wants to constantly remind us what life will really be like. Yes, there will be victories. Yes, we will see God's plan being fulfilled in our lives. But that doesn't mean the challenges will disappear. As long as we continue in this body, as long as the return of Jesus is delayed, there will always be Abner's. There will always be Ishbosheth's. David was God's anointed king, and yet God never guaranteed him smooth sailing. Not once. I think of all people, David would wholeheartedly agree with Paul and Barnabas in Acts 14, say yes, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Isn't that what we see in regard to the kingdom God promised David? The tribulations that come with it? But the reality of these Abners and Ishbosheths, it does not change the fact that God is faithful. Listen to what David had written, or really, who would, he would go on to write in Psalm 138, chapter, verse 7, and the first part of verse 8. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch forth your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. O Lord is everlasting. O Lord is everlasting. Did you know we can say the same thing? We can, we, can, we can speak that, we can pray that over our lives every day. We can make the same declaration because the words of another king, words that even David could not speak. Right here, John chapter 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. When your goal is reached, when your objective is met, what do you expect after that? Well, we can't expect smooth sailing, but we can expect the peace Jesus died to give us and the hope of his victory over death that will always, always be available to us. And that victory is our victory. We have victory in the name of Jesus. We learned last week, Jesus is our ultimate weapon. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. With reverence and and oh, I love how Peter, he, he reminds his, his readers, all of us, of our ultimate expectation, the expectation that should inform all of our expectations here and now. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. 
himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish. Because I don't know where everybody's at today. I don't know what we came in here with, but before this message, we let it all go. We laid it all down. And I know there's somebody here today who needed to hear this. You've been striving for a promotion. You've been striving for whatever it may be in your life. You've been, you've been praying. You've been believing for that family member to call upon the Lord as their own personal Lord and Savior. You, you, you're stepping in faith in so many different ways. You have so many desires on your heart. We see right here that he will establish us himself.